This morning we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. One verse today, and we're going to talk about hope. More specifically, we're going to talk about where to put our hope, in what to hope. Now this directive this morning about where to set our hope is really the first direct command in Peter's letter to these churches. We've spent now four weeks, we're in our fifth week, we've spent four weeks in the introduction where Peter has talked about the salvation that comes from God based on his mercy and his grace and the main theme has been God is our Savior. And also Peter has talked about the situation of these people and really all of us who are saved by God's mercy and grace and yet still live in this world, he said we are sojourners and we have trials and we have testings and we live with tension. And then we come to the first command and it's about setting our hope. And to keep the command, to set our hope In the right context of God's salvation and the situation that we have in life, I want us to read. We're going to go all the way back. I'm going to read starting in verse 3. We're going to focus on verse 13. So if you'll stand with me in honor of God's word, let's read together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ though you have not seen him you love him though you do not now see him you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is God's word. You may be seated. Hope is very powerful, but what is it? If you were asked to define hope, it'd be like being asked to define air. 
If you tried to define air, if I said, tell me what air is, you're likely to describe it. Might not know how to define it, but you'd start saying what air does and why we need it. Air, you'd say, well, that's what you breathe. Yeah, but that doesn't tell me what it is. It just tells me what I do with it. An athlete says, air, that's what I need to run faster. Songwriter says, that's what's in the air. Love is in the air. Scientist says, it's the mixture of gases like nitrogen and oxygen that surrounds the earth. What is air? Asking what hope is is similar. It's powerful. It's very hard to define, but it's not hard to discern. You know when it's there and you know when it's not. And you know the effects of it. Here's some key words to help us describe hope. The desire for something to be true and to happen. I hope that's true. I hope that will happen. The anticipation that it is true and will happen. Hope is waiting. It's another word because it's in the future. We're hoping for things in the future. To hope is to trust. Because you're putting your hope somewhere or in something which leads to another word for you, some of you, and that is hope means disappointment. I've put it somewhere and it didn't work out. Another thing about hope that we understand is that it's both a noun and a verb. Hope is something we possess. It's something or someone that we can hope in. And then we hope, we anticipate, we trust. And everyone has hope. Everyone has hope. You've heard someone say, I am hopeless. But, but everyone has hope. The hopeless person no longer wants to live. And then acts on a sense of hopelessness, hoping that death will relieve it. Hope is turning somewhere to something that we expect and anticipate will give us a better outcome than our current one. Everyone hopes and has some hope. Hope is powerful because it's the reason that you do things. Hope is serious. Because our very lives here, our spiritual lives depend on hope. And in the verse we're going to focus on today, we see that hope is to be put somewhere specific. Where we set our hope makes it a power that either will lead us to sin and death, or it will lead us to faith and life and holiness. That's hope. The passage, the verse that we're looking at, verse 13 says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That verse I want to take in three parts. 
there's a lead up here. You got to get the lead up to hope if you're going to understand hope. And then there's a preparation for hope. The lead up is before the therefore. The preparation is after. And then there's the command. Set your hope. There's a lead up to hope. Verses 3 through 12 that I read. It's all about what leads up to the command. The directive to set our hope on, the, on grace is based on salvation. It's based on the salvation, grace, and mercy of the previous verses. That's what the therefore is therefore. Look back at what Peter has said in verses 3 through 12 before he tells us to hope and he talks about God and he talks about people. What does he say about God that's the lead up to our hope? Well, he says that God, according to mercy, saves us. Verse 3, he says that from God's mercy come all of these numerous salvation mercies that are captured in this beautiful word, grace. Mercy is God saving people who are unable to save themselves. Grace is God saving people who are undeserving of his salvation. Mercy and grace tell us that salvation is all about and always from God and God alone. By grace and mercy, Peter said in the first several verses, God gives us the new birth. He has caused us to be born again. That's a mercy and a grace. He cleanses us from our sin. He continues the ongoing work of growing us up in Christ. He has given us an inheritance, eternal life and shared glory with Christ. He will keep the inheritance safe for us and he will keep us safe in him so we can get all the way to glory. God's salvation Peter said, is based on the suffering and subsequent glories of Christ on our behalf. This is his grace, that he died for our sins, that he was raised for our life. God in Christ alone is our salvation. This is grace and mercy. The message of salvation, he goes on to say, was prophesied by the prophets before Jesus died and rose again. And he said, it's so great, it's so powerful, it's so wonderful, it's so real that even the angels long to understand it. They want to see into it. They don't have our experiences of people who need and get grace the way we do. But God's grace is so rich and full and so glorifying of him that even the angels want to understand it. Now the message of this grace is clearly and openly announced to us today by the power of the Holy Spirit. God has done all of this. This is the lead up. It's a part of the lead up to hope. It's rooted, founded in God and his grace. Peter talks about these people. And we could say all people who are in Christ, who are still living in this world. What does he say about us? We're chosen sojourners. We are elect exiles. We are still in this world, but we are citizens of another world, which means we are feeling tension. The tension of wanting to be loyal to Jesus Christ, the king of his kingdom, and at the same time being pulled 
to conform to our own lustful passions that we'll get to next week and the ways of this world. He says we're grieved in this world by trials. We're tested in our faith. We love and we believe in Christ now, but we have to wait for the fullness of this complete salvation to be brought to us at the coming of Christ. So here's the lead up to hope. God saves us by grace. We are sojourners in this world. Therefore, we got to put our hope on him. But the second thing we see is a preparation for hoping. That comes after the therefore in the verse that we're reading today. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. That's preparation for the command to set our hope. He says, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. It's kind of like this. For some reason this past week, I had the thought of the first time my mother sent me to our neighborhood market. I think I'm correct in saying this. It was a long time ago. I think I'm correct in saying this, that it was about a half a mile, maybe three quarters of a mile away, not quite a mile, but I was only, as best I remember, about six years old. Yeah, wow. Somebody just said, wow, yeah. It's the way it was back in the day. And my mom said, I want you to go to the store and buy, I don't remember what that was either. Let's say bread. I want you to go to the store and I want you to buy bread. That was the command. But preparing, lace up your shoes, here's the money, put it in your pocket, here's the list, put it in your pocket, put your hand in your pocket, and don't lose either one, and go buy the bread. Preparing your mind for action, being sober-minded, is the preparation for the command to set your hope on the grace of God. A prepared and sober mind is essential for hope. Hope doesn't just happen. Not biblical hope not eternal hope it doesn't just happen we have to prepare for it in our minds and this doesn't mean you have to be highly intelligent it doesn't even mean you have to be highly educated if you are fine use it to glorify God what it means is that the mind is essential for hoping in these ways. First, we have to prepare it for action. He says, prepare your mind for action, meaning prepare your mind for the action that is going on within your own mind. This is a thinking battle that goes on, and it goes on from the time you wake up in the morning until you fall asleep and all through the day and sometimes in the middle of the night. The mind is active. It's thinking, and we have to prepare it for action, the, its own activity. There's a picture in this phrase, prepare your minds for action. It's a picture in Peter's day in the first century, an athlete or maybe a soldier. Longer robes, and they would have to gather up the robe 
tie it around them, get it, get it out from their feet and knees, tie it around the waist, tuck it into a waistband to be prepared to run and to fight. So he says, gather up the thoughts in your mind so that you will be prepared to run as obedient children, as holy people in this world, verse 14 and following. Prepare your mind to set your hope on grace and to be obedient and to be holy by gathering up the thoughts of your mind. How do we do that? Well, we have to receive the truth of God. We have to return to it over and over and over. We have to review it. We have to rejoice in the truth of God's grace and mercy and salvation and His Word to us. We have to return over and over and over to the fact that we are sojourners. We have to prepare ourselves for the suffering to come. We have to remind ourselves that trials are part of this, that they're the testings of our faith. You see, we're receiving, returning to, reviewing, rejoicing in the truth that God gives us in His Word. This is how our minds are being prepared If we think that we can live without, if we can live in living hope without preparing our minds, without girding up the thoughts of our minds, if we think that we can just run without prepared minds, we will stumble and fall all over ourselves. Brothers and sisters, we have to get our minds in the truth. And then he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. So you have to, we have to remain prepared. We have to fix our minds on reality, on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God, and the nature of our sojourning life in this world. That's what it means to be sober-minded. We have to sober up. In our minds, we have to get serious about salvation and obedience. Now, joy is all in the Christian life. Rejoicing, gladness, happy are those who trust the Lord. We can sing with full gusto. And at the same time, this can happen at the same time. At the same time, we can be absolutely serious about the gospel, about salvation, about the glory of God, about making it all the way to the finish line faithful to Jesus. There's a seriousness here, a sobriety that needs to come over us. Three times, Peter says in his letter, be sober-minded. Here is one of them, be sober-minded to set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the coming of Christ. In chapter 4, he said, be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Boy, that one has really landed on me lately. As I've thought to myself over and over, you know, why do I have a hard time praying? Why is it so difficult to focus in prayer? And then I remind myself, because, Scott, you haven't been sober-minded. Fix your mind. Gather up the thoughts of your mind. Focus on His grace. Turn distracting stuff off. Capture the thoughts that are crazy in your head. So you can go pray. 
Be sober-minded for prayer. And another one he says in chapter 5, be sober-minded for the purpose of resisting the devil. Sober-minded. Brothers and sisters, where's your mind? Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think it was Martin Lloyd-Jones who said, talk to yourself. Don't let yourself talk to you. We have to gather up the thoughts of our minds. We have to say to ourselves, this is God. This is the truth. This is reality. This is the gospel. This is the way he has called us to live. This is our sojourning world. These are the trials. And they're going to continue. And they're for the testing of our faith. But he's going to get us all the way home. We have to talk to ourselves. It requires mental discipline to prepare and to sober up in the mind with the truth and reality and God's grace. So now, with the truth, prepared, gathered up thoughts, he tells us the third thing, set your hope. This is the, this is the, the action, the command we're called to. This is the activity of the mind and the heart and the soul. Again, hope doesn't just happen. I want it to. I want to wake up one day and the world is perfect. And hope floods my soul. Well, if the world's perfect, why do I have to have hope? I've entered it, right? We just want it to wash over us. He tells us to do it. Set your hope. This is what we do in prayer with the truth. It's discipline. It's a decision. And it's done over and over and over again. That's another thought I had that I've dismissed now that I've gotten older. I really thought when I became a Christian that there'd be a day when I would arrive. Anybody else think that way with me? All right, now, hands up. Who's gotten there? <laughs> One right down here. Bless you. You're young. Over and over and over, we're setting our hope. It's a practice. It's a pattern. It's, it's what sojourners do. Set your hope. We'll okay, take it phrase by phrase, verse 13. Set your hope. Take all of your hope, all of your anticipation, all of your trust, all of your longing and expectation for now and for the future and set it somewhere. Entrust it to God. Fully, it says, set your hope fully, the full weight of it. I've been holding back. Have you? I'll hope in God, but I'll hold some back. In case he doesn't come through, I'll figure out what to do. He says, set your hope fully, the full weight of yourself 
your future, your now, your hope, your everything. Just all of it right on God. Set it on the grace, the whole range of salvation. That is, forgiveness of your sin. Are you still questioning it? You're still wondering if God forgives you and forgives you completely and forgives you for everything, past, present, future, all of it? You're still wondering? Take the whole weight and put it, set it right on God, the forgiveness of your sins. That's grace. Your body? We're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. And yet they're breaking down. Well, I guess that stands to reason. They have to break down if they're going to be redeemed. Set the whole weight of our bodies onto Christ. The new heaven and the new earth. The whole weight of entering into the hope of entering into a place of newness that God is now preparing for us right on Him. The shared glory, the very presence of God now. Everything, the Holy Spirit, everything is the grace. We, we set the whole weight, trust on the grace of God and the full range of it. Our, my friend Jim LeBurge, right over there I see him, shared with me a couple of weeks ago. He said, remember, grace is the very expression of the nature of God. So when it says set your hope on the grace, he means set your hope on God himself. The grace that will be brought to you. Well, am I not a Christian now? Yes. Right now, I am saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, and yet, completed, full salvation grace is yet to come. When Christ returns, now I am saved. I am a Christian by grace. But when Christ returns, there will be no more this world anything. No more this world obstacle to my faith. No more this world competition for my faith and, and hope. No more this world weakness. Oh, wow. No more this world Limitation, no more this world temptation, no more sinful desires contrary to God's will and word, no more pride, no more hurt feelings, complete conformity to Christ is what will come when he returns, complete, enjoying Christ forever. That's the grace that will be brought to us. That's where I'm setting my hope. And it will come, next phrase, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's his second coming. Does that embarrass you? Have we lost a doctrine of bedrock reality and truth of the return of Jesus Christ because we are embarrassed to talk about that kind of thing in a modern world? 
Are we so believing that Christianity is about our morality and our ability to transform the world that we can't even talk and we won't even talk? We've forgotten to talk about the fact that Jesus Christ will personally, literally, bodily return to this earth and make all things new? Man, I really want to return to that and put the full weight of my hope there. So the message, the way to live as sojourners now in the trials and testings of life, as those who are saved by God's grace in Christ, is to set now the full weight of our whole hope, all of our hope on the grace that is to come at Christ's return. And you know, here's, here's, what, here's the way First Peter is structured. Here's what you need to know about the whole letter here. The rest of Peter, starting at verse 14, the rest of First Peter tells us that it is setting our hope on this grace that provides for us the reason and the power to do everything else that he's going to tell us to do. Faithfulness to Christ, faithfulness to everything that's coming from verse 14 on is completely dependent on setting our hope on the grace of God in Christ to be brought to us at the revelation of Christ. It's the foundation. That's the way Peter wrote the letter. So set your hope there, brothers and sisters. We've already said that the relevance of setting our hope on the grace to come is that it is the power, it is a motivation, it is the vision for faithfulness to God as we're sojourners now. And I want to go a bit further. I want to take it a bit further and talk a bit more about this call to hope because it is also a corrective. The call to hope is a corrective and it is a directive for us as we live as his people in this world. And here for two things. First, very often we believe that we can relieve all suffering now and that leads us to go astray. And very often we believe that we can receive all of salvation now. And that also leads us astray. And to set our hope on the grace that will be brought to us corrects both of those things. First one. Even as Christians, we often believe that we can relieve all suffering now. And when we do, we make some very misguided and even sinful attempts to do so. Now I want you to follow me, okay? Peter said that trials and sufferings are in this world and they are the testings of our faith and they purify our faith to trust in God more fully. We often believe, even as Christians, that we should be able to relieve all suffering and trial. And when we believe that we can relieve all the suffering and all the trial of this world, then we set our hope there. We start to hope that we can somehow relieve it all. And when we go that far, we will then attempt to do it by whatever means possible. Now, to be sure, there are legitimate ways for us to relieve suffering. 
and for us to come out from under the trials of life. There are legitimate ways to do that, ways that do not violate the truth of God. Good medicine, good technology, good laws, good common grace wisdom, money, and many other things can actually help us in the sufferings and the trials of life if we use them legitimately. And so, let's do it. But suffering and trials and testing will always be a part of this life until the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if we don't prepare our minds for action, if we don't remain sober-minded, if we don't set our hope on the grace to come, then what we're going to do is we're going to make relief of all suffering by any means at all costs our goal in this life. And if we do that, then we're going to deny the truth of God. We're going to deny reality. And we will even find ourselves putting our hope in sinful things to relieve our suffering. Or we might find ourselves putting, putting our hope in good things in very sinful ways to remove our suffering and make idols out of them. We can create numerous idols out of money and relationships and ideas and people if we believe that that will relieve our suffering. And so when our relationships, our friendships, or even our marriages become a trial, and we're setting our hope on our ability to relieve the, the trial nature of that, the suffering nature of that, then often we just get another. We just move on. And we're finding, even among the Christian community, when the trial and the suffering of loneliness enters into a person's life and becomes very strong in that person's life, then even Christians begin to set aside the truth of God and enter into immoral relationships as a way to relieve the suffering of loneliness. And today, there's so much psychological suffering going on, and we understand it, and nobody likes that, but there's psychological suffering going on over sexuality and gender. And even Christians today are tempted to relieve the psychological suffering over sexuality and gender by affirming same-sex relationships and partnerships and transgenderism. And the belief here is that the hope in our trials and in our suffering is just to relieve it. And the goal then becomes to relieve it at all costs. By whatever means, even by the means of denying the truth of God's word, and even by the means of things that we know, according to God's word, to actually be sinful. But we know differently, brothers and sisters. We've set our hope on God. We've set our hope on God's grace to be brought to us when Christ returns. And because our hope is there and not here on relieving all of our suffering, then we as Christians are willing to endure trials. We are willing to endure sufferings that we cannot legitimately relieve for the sake of faithfulness to Christ. 
We're willing, as he's going to say in verse 14 and following, we're willing to actually put to death our desires, to crucify them and go through the suffering of crucifying desires in order to be faithful to Jesus Christ because we're putting the whole weight of the hope of relief there, not here, on Christ's grace to be revealed to us. We prepare our minds for this so that we'll be faithful to God even though we may be grieved by trials and testings. That's the first corrective. The, correct, the corrective to our, our belief that we can relieve all suffering. And here's another one. Putting our hope on the grace that is to be brought to us at Christ's return is a corrective and a directive for our belief that we can and should receive all of salvation now. We believe that now we should enter fully into the experience of God's grace and salvation that's really to be brought to us when he returns. And when we do that, we become very disappointed and disillusioned. And a lot of people are just quitting altogether. Many people believe that and preach and teach that all of salvation is for now. And as I said, when that, when that belief system enters into your mind, you will come up against reality very quickly. And then disappointment hits. And disillusionment hits. And people are walking away. All, let's, let's talk about all and now. All of salvation is coming to a place where we will never again be tempted and we will never again sin, and we won't even be able to. Do you know the song we sing? There is a fountain, there's a line in it that says, we will be saved to sin no more. Every time we sing that, I throw my head back, I want to throw my hands up and say, praise the Lord. We will be saved. There is coming a day when we will be saved to sin no more. We won't even be able to sin when Christ returns. But what about now? You see, that's, that's all of it. That's the completed salvation that he's going to bring to us. But what about now? Well, now I'm tempted, and you are too. And now we can sin, and now we actually do sin. All of salvation is that, that, that time and that place of Christ's return when the internal war with the old self that Paul talks about in Romans 7. That internal war with the old nature and indwelling sin is no more. But what about now? The battle rages now, doesn't it? And you say, well, just look at verse 14. We're coming to it. It's going to tell us, why does the Bible tell us to put to death the passions of our old nature? Why would it tell us to do that? if we weren't battling the passions of our old nature. So that's why it's there. The, now the battle rages. So setting our hope on right now being able to have it all. If we put our hope right now on being able to be done with temptation, done with the war within, finished with the trials and the confusions that are coming our way, then we are setting ourselves up for massive disappointment and disillusionment and many 
especially young Christians, are walking away from church and even pursuing holiness at all because they say, I can't be perfect, so I quit. You're not going to be perfect. He's perfecting. It's an ongoing thing. He's perfecting you. And the grace of perfection will come. Completion will come. Hang in there. All of salvation means that someday the way you feel will fully align with the facts. But right now, it doesn't. And how many brothers and sisters in Christ have I talked to who've said, I just don't feel it? To which I say, I know. But someday, and hoping that we'll feel it all now is again just setting us up for discouragement. So, we set our hope on the grace that's to come as a corrective to trying to believing that we can relieve all sufferings and then trying to relieve suffering in sinful, illegitimate ways. And we set our hope on the grace to come as a corrective to this idea that we're supposed to receive it all now in perfect completion. No, we're waiting for that. And when we understand this, we, we will be able then to pick up in verse 14 and continue on, which we will next week, Lord willing, we'll continue on and walk in faithfulness to all the things that Christ has called us to, even in the trial and the tension and the suffering, even though we don't get there perfectly, we press on, setting our hope there. So this morning, my hope and prayer is that you are hoping in Christ, that you, that you are maybe being drawn more and more fully to faith in Christ. And brothers and sisters, my hope is that you who do belong to Christ will, will press on, that you will not give up, that you will, that you will move forward, that you will say, God is working and my hope is there, not here, and I'm gonna move toward it, believing God. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. And cause it today to make us more like your son. Congregation, just take a, a few seconds here. How has God spoken to you? And how do you need to respond to him? Do so in prayer right now.